Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from Ten, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nikian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is Gabrielle Harbowie, editor and associate publisher at Dragon Moon Press. You can find my advice on writing, editing, and getting published on my blog at gabrielle-edits.com. You're listening to episode 24 of Down From 10, and this is the story so far. Katie and Sarah, determined to find out what's going on, have pulled down the wall in Sarah's room and found a steel bulkhead. Rescuing a gun from Carol's stash, the group made camp in the living room to protect themselves from whatever it is that has them imprisoned and comes for them at night. But in the dark, the shadows are active and speaking in a strange, mystical language. Chapter 24 E minus one. Amos sat bolt upright, gasping in the dark, trying to find his air. In the dream, he'd been suffocating, dying under a heavy load of dust that somehow replaced everything breathable, with the songs echoing in his head, the voice of Amy singing, Hush, little baby, and that blank, muttering whisper, droning like a monk about counting down from ten, over and over and over. His breath came out in puffs of mist, cold, like a deep freeze. The fire had died sometime during the night. Amos lay back down, letting Carol turn over and throw her arm over him in her sleep. But after five solid minutes of looking off into darkness that he knew somewhere ended on the ceiling, sleep wasn't coming again. His mouth felt tacky from breathing in his sleep, and the longer he lay there, the more his lower back wound itself into knots. He extricated himself from Carol's limbs and the skirt of the silk nightdress she was wearing in deference to the fact that they might be walked in upon by hostiles unknown, tiptoed over her body, and stumbled out of the nest, dragging a loose blanket behind him and throwing it over his shoulders. His sweatpants kept his legs warm, but his feet damn near froze every time they hit the floorboards. The hardwood in the kitchen was, if anything, colder. Amos took a glass from the cupboard and drew himself some water from the tap. He downed the first glassful greedily, then took his time with the second, coughing a bit as the cold edged into his lungs like something from a bad dream. Dreams. In this tomb, it seemed like everything worked on the logic of dreams. Free association, thought rhymes, flavors of feelings, like something out of a Jungian meditation. A maze of symbols all pointing back on themselves, leading nowhere. It was the difference between deconstruction and reduction. If he was going to get back to sleep, he needed to reduce the problem to its basic components. Find the right questions to ask. The dreams might be a clue, but then they might just be a byproduct of something that didn't lead anywhere. 
following them might turn out to be as useless as explicating Jabberwocky. The right question. There really was only one place to start that he could think of. Who put us in here? Wherever here is. That was the important one. Where they were didn't matter as much. It would follow from who. But to figure out who, there had to be a why. Why were they here? The water made him feel more human and, unfortunately, more awake. Not a good thing when the microwave clock was reading 3.40 in the morning. There was no way he was getting any more sleep tonight. But the answers didn't want to come. It was a perfect cage. Just enough clues to show him the predicament. Not enough to work out anything that might lead to an escape. It's just a puzzle. Human nature doesn't change. What do we have that someone might want? There weren't any good answers. He shouldn't have expected there would be. Amos drained the rest of his glass and filled it once more, dangling it from his hands by its lip. He needed more sleep if he was going to figure anything out, but before he laid down again, he needed to get the bloody knots out of his spine. Stepping lightly so as not to wake anyone, he made his way through the living room and toward the solarium door. In between Gerd's dependable seesaw snores, he could hear Carol mumbling, as if whispering over and over to a distressed child. Don't worry, baby. I'll get us there soon. It'll be safe, little girl. Amos stepped through the door, sliding it shut behind him so that he wouldn't disturb anyone when he turned on the bubbles. But when he looked up, he saw that the spa, though dark, was already occupied and the bubbles were already on. He couldn't tell who it was in the dark, but he hazarded a guess. Adele? Huh? Oh. Hey. I thought we weren't supposed to wander off alone. He found the edge of the tub half by touch, then slipped his sweats off and dropped the blanket on top of them. It's just the next room. Figured it wasn't a big deal. What about you? Same. He stepped into the spa, moving slowly so the heat wouldn't shock his chilled skin. I couldn't sleep. Bad dreams. Me too. Do you mind? I'm going to turn the light on. Sure. Once he settled in, he hit the light panel and lay back against a headrest, relaxing in the green light and warmth. He closed his eyes and let the jets work the knots in his back and breathed in the warm mist rising from the water. After a moment, Adele murmured from her corner, What brings you out here? <laughs> it was too cold to get back into bed. Even with all those bodies? Once the fire is gone, this place turns to a refrigerator. Amos stopped and opened his eyes. He slowly lifted his head and looked sideways at Adele. When did you come out here? About ten minutes before you did. That wasn't possible. It was 3.45 when I came out here. Okay. So what? I fell asleep at a little after one. Congratulations. No, you don't understand. Amos wasn't sure he understood either, but what little he did gave him the crack in the door he needed to pry open the whole mystery. What? I stoked the fire right before I fell asleep. Less than three hours ago. I built it up nice and high so it would keep us warm. And I threw two big logs on that should have lasted at least four hours. What are you saying? Someone reset the clocks? Why would anyone do that? I don't know. If that's what they did. He didn't have it all yet, but there was something tickling the edge of his mind. Amos abruptly stood and stepped out of the spa. Amos, where are We have to wake everyone up. Amos tossed a towel to Adele and took one for himself. 
He quickly wicked the moisture from his crotch and legs and pulled his sweatpants back on, then threw the blanket back over his shoulders. Once in the living room, he turned on the light switch and waited for the chaos to break out. Kevin was the first to stir from his spot next to the hearth, with Sarah laying fitfully across his stomach. The physicist groaned and rubbed his bleary eyes. Uh, who turned on the damn lights? Everybody up. Sarah groaned and ducked her head back under the covers. Oh, dear. Shut the goddamn lights off. Carol threw a pillow at him and missed. Come on. Family meeting. Everyone up. Since when do you get to call family meetings? Carol, with the half of her face that wasn't still buried in a pillow, glared at him. I'm usurping. Fine. What's wrong? The fire's dead. So fucking build it up again. Christ on a stick, Amos. Sarah growled from under the covers. Adele, who'd been leaning against the solarium door, shot Amos an I hope you know what you're up to look and sat down on the hearth above Kevin's head, reaching down and running her fingers through his hair. Amos headed into the kitchen to put a pot of coffee on. They were gonna need it. He found the filters and tossed one into the basket. Kevin, he called as he scooped the grounds into the filter. Could you build up the fire? Sure, yeah, I guess so. Kevin's groggy voice echoed through from the other room, and Amos heard some shuffling as the physicist snapped too. Katie, what time is it? Amos filled the carafe at the sink and looked at the microwave clock, suddenly realizing that he hadn't checked the mantle clock which he'd looked at when he stoked the fire. The microwave could have been accidentally reset by someone operating it. Katie's reply came a moment later. Three... um... a little after 3.50. Well, there went that theory. He finished filling the pot and decanted it into the drip brewer's reservoir. You remember those logs I threw on before we nodded off? Uh, vaguely? It should have lasted through to the morning. Amos flipped the switch on the coffee maker and stepped back out into the living room. Now, it's burned to nothing. Now, that can't be right. Kevin, who had been leaning against the hearth like he was struggling to stay awake, suddenly snapped up, a puzzled expression overtaking his features. Carol pulled herself to her feet and walked toward him as if testing new legs. When she drew even with him, she whispered, Do we really have to do this now? Yeah, I think we do. I'll get the drinks. Go hold court. Okay. Amos crossed his arms over his chest and ambled thoughtfully over to the wing back, then let himself fall into it. So, who do you want me to cite? Come again? For breaking the laws of physics. <sighs> Couldn't someone have just wound the clock back? That's what I asked. Should be easy to solve, no? Gerd pulled himself up onto the shorter sofa and rubbed his temples. Look at your wristwatch. Kevin casually glanced at his. I'm in sync. Katie reached up to the end table behind her, batted around for a moment before finding her watch, then pulled it down and checked it. I'm synced too. So? Amos leaned forward, his elbows on his knees, and tented his hands in front of his face thoughtfully. Who could have come into the middle of us... Wound all the clocks back by two hours, and not woken any of us up. Everyone seemed to look at everyone else for a moment, as if there had to be an answer forthcoming. And it was. From Sarah. She threw her covers off and glared at Amos. Nobody could. Garrett snores, Katie tosses, Kevin gets up to pee every hour. There's no way anyone could have waited through us undetected, fucked with our wristwatches, changed the clocks. You have to be wrong. I'm not. He's not. Katie's words came in on top of his, and she stopped for a second as if waiting for him to continue, but he didn't have anything more. He inclined his head to her, seating the floor, and she plowed forward. I saw him rebuild the fire. There's no way it could have burned down that fast. 
Adele finally began to look uncomfortable, which unnerved Amos, both because it took her so damned long and because if she was worried, then he really was on to something, and that couldn't be a good thing. So you're saying that either somehow someone tranquilized us, or... or... Kevin's attempt to pick up the sentence faltered when Carol emerged from the kitchen door with the coffee service in her hands. All eyes went to her. She set the tray down and started pouring mugs, then looked up and saw everyone staring. What? You brought all of us here, Mom. Kevin shook his head as if to apologize for making the observation. Wait just a damn minute! Sarah stood and went to claim a coffee mug, scowling at everyone in general. We spent last night tapping on every wall and digging through snow and finding metal everywhere, proving this can't be Carol's house. And now you're accusing her because she lives here? Uh, there? Whatever. With all eyes on Carol, Amos shuffled out of his chair and strolled slowly toward the staircase, just in case. Kevin inhaled deeply, shifting his gaze from Sarah to Carol, and then looked at Gerd. The two of them seemed to reach a silent agreement. Kevin shrugged unhappily. There's someone on the inside. There has to be. Well, someone who did that must be able to get into the house, Nespa. To duplicate it in details, most minute. So now we're talking about duplicating the house? That's insane. Adele lined up against Carol, too, turning to face the hostess and squaring off her shoulders. We only have two possibilities, and we would have heard a construction site outside the window. This is the only one left. Carol, unconsciously, took a half-step back. Sarah shook her head, as if the world had just turned inside out again. But why would- This is a joke, right? Disappointment grew on Katie's face. She looked like she was watching an angel fall from glory in slow motion. Carol walked backward toward the stairs, shaking her head and waving her hands in front of her. She was trembling. You're all... I'm not... I wouldn't... She bumped into Amos, standing guard at the base of the stairs, and turned around looking at him with a wild, pleading look in her eyes, like a trapped animal. Amos shook his head sadly and took hold of her upper arm. Game is over, Carol. What's going on? Amos, let me go. You tell me what's going on, or you convince me that you have nothing to do with this. I didn't do this. Yes, you did. Sarah stood up quietly, her face beginning to flush red. As she stepped haltingly toward Carol, she began to tremble. You've stage-managed us from the beginning. You were the one who went up to look for help. You said there was no one up there. There was no and one. And Jeremiah got in your way, didn't he? Sarah got within arm's reach of Carol, her feet less than a step away from Carol's pillow where Amos had stashed the pistol. Amos edged out from behind Carol towards his robe, hanging over the back of the wingback, while Sarah clenched and unclenched her fists at her side, working her blood up higher. You killed him, didn't you? You snuck into his room and stuffed a pillow down his throat, you bitch! Sarah let her right hand fly, slapping Carol hard across her face. Carol didn't flinch. She continued looking straight into Sarah's eyes with her damnable sense of irrepressible dignity and didn't strike back. Sarah pulled her hand back and swung again, but Carol raised her left arm and caught Sarah's slap. You get one. You don't get to make that choice. Tears stood proudly on Sarah's cheeks. For all her fear, she wasn't going to back down. Carol must have seen the hatred and hurt there. Her expression softened and her voice broke. Oh, honey. Don't you call me that. Never again. Sarah dropped to the ground and reached under Carol's pillow, rolling backward and grabbing the gun as she went. Like the dancer she once was, she popped up again with the pistol pointed directly at Carol's chest. Sarah, 
put the gun down. You killed Jeremiah! She shook the gun at Carol like it was a riding crop. Carol didn't move. She folded her arms over her chest and remained resolutely aloof. I did not. You brought all of us here. You sold us out. You fucking killed him. I did not kill him! Amos raised an eyebrow at Kevin, the only person Sarah couldn't see without turning her head. The physicist nodded and began circling quietly around so that he was behind her, but he didn't step onto the nest for fear she'd feel him. He was two steps away. Sarah! Katie stepped in close enough to Carol to draw Sarah's attention. Think about what you're doing, Kukaracha. Carol's never done anything to make you think she'd be capable of no, this. No, but you have. I remember Eric and what happened to him. You've still got the newspaper article in your room. Sarah swung the gun to Katie. Do you kill all the guys you fuck who turn out to be gay? Katie took a half step back and waved her arms as if trying to ward off the gun. No! Sarah! I never hurt Eric! I swear Jeremiah never- No! Sarah adjusted her aim, and the look of her eyes shifted subtly, the helplessness draining out of her rage. Carol caught it too, and she jumped in front of Katie just as Sarah pulled the trigger. The Browning's hammer fell, returning a sharp click on an empty chamber. Sarah pulled the trigger again, and then a third time and a fourth, the frenzy of useless clicking from the dry firing filling the room like an angry countdown clock. Amos dipped his hand into the pocket of his robe and lifted out the pistol's magazine. He held it up and pushed one bullet after another out to drop uselessly on the floor. The sound attracted Sarah's attention. As soon as she looked up at him, Katie and Kevin both set on her. Katie reached the dancer first, laying her hand on the weapon. Come on, Sarah. It's okay. Let go. Sarah grunted and tried to pull away, but Katie pried the gun loose and quickly decoupled the slide from the receiver. Katie kept the slide herself and tossed the receiver to Amos. You... Sarah looked from Katie to Carol. You... Sarah, I swear to you, Katie didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. I don't know if anyone did or if he killed himself. Amos slipped his robe on, dropping the receiver and the half-empty clip into his pockets. He crouched down and retrieved the scattered bullets. Kevin snorted incredulously. <laughs> Not like any suicide I've ever heard of. Some people just die. You're defending her? She's been your friend, your lover, for ten years. All of you, ten years or more. And here you are, turning on her. Indeed. Gerd, still trapped on the couch folded his hands and pressed them to his lips as if entertaining a very dark thought. But whoever brings us here, he can copy everything, us, Bob. Why not a woman, too? Stop talking crazy. Adele threw her hands up in defeat and started for the coffee service. Amos walked back to the staircase, shaking his head. He'd hoped nobody would go there yet. He'd hoped there'd be some other way to navigate the situation. Now that Garrett had said it out loud, they were all expendable. Any one of them could be a duplicate, or they could all just be crazy. Amos sat down on the stairs heavily. Now that the idea was out there, he had to defuse it as quickly as possible. Distraction wouldn't work. He's right. There's no way to know. Katie raised an unpleasant eyebrow at him. Isn't there? Well, we're certainly not going to shoot her just to find out if it's really her. Amos shook his head, wishing he could afford to look down at the ground and hide. It occurred to him, not for the first time, that having a room full of writers and intellectuals might be their only salvation from having the whole week end like the plot of a kitschy mystery novel. 
With Katie's attention on him, Sarah pulled free her grip and sat next to Gerd, slipping her hand onto his knee and squeezing. Amos risked a look at Carol, much as he didn't want to. It all came back to Carol. Everything from that first night. She hosted, planned the retreat. She was in a position to make sure they had the supplies they needed to survive under the snow, including the air exchangers to keep them breathing even when they had to burn wood for heat. During the whole week, he'd felt her hand at the back of things. For a while, he thought it was just her way of making sure everyone had a good time and stayed sane. But it was she who hid the guns in the shed that would collapse. It was she who'd gone topside to ascertain the extent of the storm and discover if there was any way to hike out. From coming out to find him when he was stargazing, to orchestrating events so that she could ensure they all stayed in here. She'd played him like a game, using the trust she'd earned from him to get him to help keep everyone else together. He held her gaze and beckoned her with his head. She looked down at him, pleading with her eyes as if she knew what he was about to say. He reached up and took her hand. He squeezed it. After all of it, he still loved her, and he couldn't bring himself to speak harshly. Whatever the game, we're not going to play anymore. Start explaining. Carol held his gaze for a long moment, tears trapped in her eyes, then turned around and sat next to him. She pressed her hands to her face, inhaled deeply, then lifted her eyes to face her friends. She looked at each in turn, as if trying to find the right words in their eyes. When she met Amos's gaze, he read her need there to stand on her own and explain herself. He nodded and retreated from his spot on the stairs, finding a seat on the arm of the wingback. Carol took another breath, leaned forward on her knees, and spoke. What makes human life special? How are humans precious? What gives us the right to live like we do? off the labor of other organisms? How did humans inherit the right to play God, to create life in our own image? She paused, as if expecting an answer, but none came. She pursed her lips and nodded, as if acknowledging that she truly was on her own, and continued. We have been dancing around these questions all week. Jeremiah brought them up. We've talked about them for other reasons. Some of us wanted story ideas. Some of us are coming to terms with death. <laughs> More of us now than when we got here. What happens when we run into other life, someday, among the stars? Kevin leaned forward over the back of the long couch. Anything we meet will be so different from us we either won't recognize it, or we won't be able to communicate with it. If it's more primitive than us, we'll probably domesticate it. If it's dangerous, we'll probably wipe it out. If it's more intelligent or more powerful, we'll probably try to avoid it. That's the story of exploration everywhere. Isn't it? Where? Often this is so. Katie crossed her arms, clearly having had her fill of academic bullshit. This is irrelevant. No, I promise. Bear with me. Do we really just outlaw murder because we don't want to die? Are we really that small? In most of the world, murder is still an honorable profession. But what if it didn't have to be? Carol looked at him as if imploring him to find the answer before she gave it to him, as if his understanding was the only thing in the world that mattered to her. We evolved to cooperate as much as to kill. 
What if you saw something that changed everything? She wanted him to understand, but he had a terrible feeling that the more she explained, the less he'd get it, until at the end of it, he wouldn't understand anything, and she'd be lost to him. He set his jaw and willed the tears back from his eyes. You helped someone kidnap us because you met Jesus. Are we at a secret base in Guyana? She's off her nut. I think not. The slow light of understanding grew on Gerd's face. No. But there's something... Gerd, you remember the moon landings? We? Oui. You're the only one here who does. All the rest of us were too young or born after everyone else gave up. We only got to see it on the movies of the week. So Richard Branson told you he'd give you a seat on the Virgin Galactic if you sold us off for a psych study in cabin fever? I don't think so. There was only one place she could be going, and it was insane. Look, this is all sweet and grand and poetic, but it doesn't explain anything. It doesn't explain why Sarah got attacked, or why the rest of us are having nightmares, or hearing the same song in those nightmares. Or why the food started going bad. Or why Kevin's paints dried out. No, Jeremiah stole those. Why would he? Why would he bring a duplicate exact set that was all dried out? How could he even know? I don't think that's a mystery at all. The words slipped out of Amos's mouth, even though he didn't want them to. He knew now what was up, though he understood less than ever. Oh? Amos turned his head and looked straight into Carol's eyes. It was something you missed, wasn't it? If I may ask, mon ami, why did none of these things happen until after the avalanche? Katie shrugged as if the answer were obvious. They needed us to be trapped to cover the move. They couldn't have us finding the steel plating. But how does food go bad when it's packed in snow overnight? Amos raised his eyebrows questioningly at Carol. Another oversight? Carol pressed her hands to her face again, as if she couldn't face them through her confession, and spoke through her palms. There were so many details. I thought I had them all. I I didn't think that Kevin would bring oranges as bags, or that the paints in the tube would dry out. I, I should have known you'd figure it out. It's why you brought me along, isn't it? It wasn't actually a question that Amos asked, but he couldn't find it in himself to be angry with her. Not now. Not when he didn't know whether she'd survive the wrath of everyone else once they caught on. There were too many of them, and he wouldn't be able to defend her if it got ugly. One of the reasons. One among many. We can talk about those later. What about the song? It's an old protest song. They used to sing it on my grandmother's commune, I grew up singing it. I always mumble it to myself when I'm cleaning. Protest song? Katie looked at Carol as if she'd just taken another left turn into the loony bin. Nuclear war. You can make the whole world end if you just count down from ten. You know, like the countdown to a missile launch. I didn't say it was a good song, just catchy. Stuck with me for some reason. It's always running around in my head. You guys must have heard me singing it to myself when you were asleep. Care to explain to us mortals what the hell is going on? Adele's attention was on Amos, not Carol. Perhaps because she trusted him to give her a straight answer. He'd known Carol longer than she had. I don't think this is a psych experiment. Is it, Carol? Carol looked up at the mantelpiece clock and seemed to carefully consider her answer. No, it's not a psych experiment. So, what is it? Amos looked at Katie and raised an eyebrow. Would she be able to figure it out, too, with just one more clue? All these things that have been going wrong. 
Kevin's paints, the food, the fire burning down, the moldy oranges. What do they all have in common? Katie shook her head as if she didn't get it, but Kevin jumped in. They all take an amazingly long... Oh my god, you're not serious. It takes 20 years for a tube of paint to dry out. She may have arrived at the party a little late, but she was the first one willing to say it out loud. We haven't really been in here for nine days, have we? No. How long has it been? Longer. Carol hesitated, clearly afraid to say any more. Amos nodded toward her, urging her to continue. She took another deep breath and said, It depends on how you measure- Don't you dare. What's that meant to mean? Depending on your frame of reference- Okay, Carol, that's enough! Stop this right now! Tell us where the funhouse door is, let us go find our cars and go home. This isn't funny anymore. This wasn't funny in the first place. People are dying. What the hell are you talking about? Katie cut Sarah off. She turned to Carol, clearly wanting a straight answer. How long have we been here? By our watches, about 22 years. What? What? Shut up, Carol! By the U.S. atomic clock, about 40. Shut up! Stop with the bullshit already! This isn't funny! Carol looked up at him, completely serious, and said simply, I'm not joking. 40 years. Well, I gotta hand it to you, Carol. This is a hell of a con you've dreamt up for us here. It's no con, Carol insisted, as calmly as a well-behaved mental patient. It's not, eh? I suppose you can prove this. Maybe. Carol peeked her eyebrows, almost like she was playing again. And where exactly? You'd know it as H.R. 483. Kevin collapsed forward onto the long couch as if he'd been struck in the back with a large tree trunk. He collected himself and staggered to the hearth, leaning always on something, never trusting his legs. When he reached the stone in front of the fire, he sat down on the raised shelf like he couldn't hold himself up anymore. Nobody said anything. Aside from Kevin, Amos reckoned that nobody but him understood what Carol had just said. Kevin, what is H.R. 483? Kevin shook his head in utter disbelief. It's... no, it, it isn't possible. It's not possible. He fell silent, caught in a singularity of incredulity, and did not explain further. Adele turned her attention back to Carol. And you're telling us it's been 40 years? It was the only way. Assuming you're not just winding us up again. How is that possible? We've been here nine days. Artificially induced metabolic arrest. You mean you put us in stasis. Amos chose the word deliberately. Everyone here was a science fiction nut. They'd all know what it meant. Yes. What? Okay, almost everyone. Adele was clearly as baffled as everyone else was incredulous. It's only theoretical. Well, up to now, I guess. You basically find a way to suspend all activity in a body, not just the body's functions, but all the activity of the microbes inside the body. Shut it all down. Cryonics tries to do that. Problem is, ice crystals tear the cell walls apart and turn them into mush. How did you do it? I didn't. Carol looked dolefully at Sarah, as if she were about to reveal another terrible secret. You were right, little kitten. We're not alone in this house. We haven't been since the day I bought it. What? The others have been here, watching us, waiting for the right time. A time when we were all here, when they could take us without us noticing. When the avalanche buried us, they saw their chance. 
they went to work. Every night, after everyone went to sleep, we all went to work. All of you had to be sedated, but they couldn't freeze you. They never found a way around the ice thing. They had to do it another way. Nanites, little machines that kept everything still. They embalmed you from the inside out, inhibiting all metabolism, including the bacteria that would otherwise start to eat you. Perfect stasis. This this is like some third-rate sci-fi novel. Sarah stared blankly at Carol, as if she weren't sure anymore whether it was a joke or a nightmare, or if one of her best friends really had gone batshit crazy. You're saying they abducted us? And they experimented on us? And No experiment. They just had to put us under so that we wouldn't notice the time passing. Each night, once all of you went down and were safe, they'd leave until it was time to wake us up. That was the hardest part. Sleep schedules. A body needs a rhythm, and what they were doing screwed it all up. The trick was to put us down as soon after we were all asleep as possible, then to jumpstart us when the time came. They always woke me up first. I had to go around and dust the house, replace Gerd's insulin from the new stuff they synthesized, check for anything they might have missed. But I missed things too. Once I found out the paints had dried, that was no problem. They were easy to get hold of while you were doing all the body painting, and I planted them in Jeremiah's room after my shower. The food was harder. They had no way to grow more except for the blood oranges. They just used the seeds in them, and there was plenty of time to grow fresh ones while we slept. What happened to Jeremiah? What did they do to him? Amos was right. He was a mess. He went through two bottles of laxatives and one bottle of Ipecac while he was here. He was already at breaking point. One morning when they woke him up, his heart wouldn't take it. It just gave up. They killed him. Sarah said they, though she clearly meant you. For no reason at all. It was an accident. That lot of good that does him. (sighs) Carol looked away from Sarah, giving up on making her understand. Looking over the rest of the group trying to find a pair of friendly eyes. She settled finally on Kevin and continued. So before they woke us up, they'd flush off the waste, make sure the air was fresh and clean. They'd even clean out the spa. When I woke up, I would go through and dust everything. Ten years of dust piles on pretty thick. Once I was done, I'd come back to bed and slide in and wait for the screaming to start. They had a lot of trouble starting us back up, making sure there was no brain damage making sure everyone was still in good working order. They had to draw the nanites out of us and then shock us and pump in drugs to keep us alive. Sometimes, like with Sarah on that first night, one of us would wake up before they'd had a chance to take the equipment away. For everyone, the deepest parts of the brain woke up first, so we all had visions of things that were closest to our hearts. And that is where the little spider wounds came from, yes? Yes. That's where they pumped the nanites in and out, through the artery in the left leg. Carol, who are they? And why did they want us? I don't know who they are, not exactly. I know they're not just one civilization. They come from a star about 30 light years Hold on. Hold on. Aliens? Yes. Kevin's right. This isn't funny anymore. Katie, obviously stuffing a boatload of anger, turned away from Carol and walked toward the coffee, making it clear that showing her old friend her back was meant to shut her out of her life. Look, this isn't a joke. Carol stopped as Kevin rose from his seat and headed for the entryway. Kevin! 
He ignored her, and Amos heard the door to the garage slam shut. Yeah, then you've lost your mind. The snow's been melting out there for days now. We've seen the runoff coming in. She turned to look at everyone, daring them to choose sides. I think she just told us to dig where we'd meet obstructions. This is a prank and a fucking stupid one. Kevin came back in, wrapped in his jacket and holding a shovel. I'm way ahead of you. We go in the way we came out. Even finding our cars will prove she's crazy. You've been listening to episode 24 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. With original music by Danny Shade. Used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple. Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis. Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein. Miss Callender as Sarah Evans. Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato. Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden. Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans. And Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty Nakian and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. 